Get your Bibles open to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter number 14. Of course, again, tonight we are observing the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a very precious time in the, the life of a church, in the life of the believer. It's one of the only two ordinances that Jesus commanded the church uh, to partake of, of course, the Lord's Supper and uh, believers' at baptism. And so it's a very important part, it's a very special part uh, of the life of a church. And it should be a very precious time in the life of the believer. And a lot of times, I believe, sometimes we don't recognize the significance and the importance of the Lord's Supper and the elements of it. So that's why here we dedicate the entire service to it. Uh, so we can take some time and really focus on the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What it cost our Lord and Savior to purchase our redemption. And so tonight we're going to look at that tonight. So we'll pray and then we'll get to our message Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this, this wonderful opportunity we have to come together and to worship you, but Lord, also to come together and to observe the Lord's Supper, to take a few moments, Lord, out of the busyness of life, out of the, the cares and the turmoils that we face, God, and Lord, just, just take some time to focus and remember, Lord, what it cost you to redeem us to take some time and remember your broken body, to remember your shed blood and your death, burial, and resurrection as payment for our sins, God. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would come down and, Lord, kind of even now take control and ease our hearts and, and clear our minds. And, Lord, help us to focus on you and the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Lord, fill me with your spirit tonight. Lord, help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said, and help me not to say what I should not say. But, Lord, help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ, of course, he died. He was crucified at the age of 33 and a half years. He, he lived on earth over 12,000 days. Now, the entire gospel record focuses on only 1,100 of those days. The entire gospel record, the entire record of the Bible drive us and focus us on just one three-day period, the time where Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected again. The entire Bible shows us and points us to those three days, to what it cost us to redeem us from sin and from hell and the grave. But of those three days, the, the day that is most focused on is the day of his death. This one 24-hour period that changed the entire history of mankind. That changed everything that had gone wrong in the world. Was made right on that one 24-hour day. And this 24-hour this period, if you read the gospel record and you read the record of the crucifixion, Sometimes we like to think it takes a very long period of time, but a lot of things happen in this one 24-hour period. Of course, Jesus observed or he enjoyed the Last Supper, the, his Last Supper with his disciples. He travels with them to the Garden of Gethsemane where he, he prays to the Father. He, he uh, admonishes Peter for falling asleep and tells Peter that Satan wants to sift him and, and, and cast him as weed. And so he's betrayed by Judas. Peter, of course, denies him. His friends scatter. He's put on a mock trial and he's, he's accused of blasphemy and, and crimes against God. He's, he's uh, convicted of these crimes. He's beaten, he's scourged, and he's crucified and hung on a cross. All in one 24-hour period. All this happened in just 24 hours. So tonight, 
as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to look at this 24-hour period, but we're really going to focus on just a couple hours of it, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples on this incredible day. So look in your Bibles in Mark chapter number 14, starting in verse number 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Of course, Jesus had just recently come into Jerusalem, and he's come to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. He's come to observe the Passover feast and to, to celebrate in Jerusalem like most Jewish people did during this time. They would take a pilgrimage once a year to Jerusalem. Actually, good Jewish men traveled to Jerusalem three times a year for the three different feast days. But they came. he came there for the Passover. Now, during he gets there. Remember, he came in uh, just a few days before, a week before, and the people are casting palm leaves and their jackets on the ground as he rides in on a donkey, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're basically saying, you are the Messiah you have come to save us and he comes there he goes to the temple he starts throwing over tables and whipping people and causing an uproar and so the chief priests are like you know what we've had enough of this guys we've had enough of him he, he's caused too much trouble he's caused too much too much turmoil he's taking away the focus from us so we got to kill him but we can't do it now because it's the feast time and people get mad when you start you know murdering people during the feasts which is you know understandable you know, we got Thanksgiving coming up. You don't want to kill someone on Thanksgiving at Thanksgiving table. It's just rude. You know what I mean? So they're like, we got to kill him, but we can't do it now. All right, skip down to verse number 12 in Mark chapter number four, uh, 14. And the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his, disi his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go to and prepare, and thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there ye shall meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good men of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve, as they that sat and, and did eat. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and say unto him, One by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is the one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man of whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man that he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and, that, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. So during this time, these events are, occur are occurring uh, in the city of Jerusalem during uh, two feast times, two festivals. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. Now, the Passover was a one-night event that the Israelites observed, they still observe it today, to remember the exodus from Israel and the Passover lamb uh, that spared them when the death angel came through. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted for several days. Now, Jesus, he entered Jerusalem the week before the Feast of the Passover, and Jerusalem is at max capacity. 
During the Passover, Jerusalem would swell to four times its regular size because of everyone coming in to worship and to celebrate and observe the Passover. So during this time, there were about 280,000 people in Jerusalem. It was at the max capacity it could have ever been. And so the disciples, they were going to celebrate the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread with Jesus. So as we come to the passage today, we've got to understand what's going on. I always tell you, context is king when you're studying the scripture. So we've got to put it in context about what's going on, about the importance of the events and, and the setting that the disciples were in when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. So as we come to the, the disciples, they were going to celebrate with the Feast of Unleavened Bread with Jesus. And the passage we begin with in verse number 12, it is about noontime. It's the day of the Passover. They are preparing to go to the temple to sacrifice the lamb and to enjoy the Passover meal. So in verse number 12 and 13, Jesus gives them a sign. He goes, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to find a man carrying a pitcher of water. He's the man you need to find. This was significant because typically during this time, men didn't carry water. That was a woman's job. Don't get mad at me, ladies. It's Jerusalem. 2,000 years ago, deal with them, okay? Women's lab, I'm fine that. But men didn't typically carry water. So he said, you're going to go into the city, you're going to find a man carrying water. So he could be easy to recognize, easy to find. And so they go and they find this man in a crowded city. Then look at verse number 14. And wheresoever he shall go in, he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house. So he's basically telling them, I want you to go into the city, find a guy carrying water, and follow him home. It's kind of weird. And when you get to where he went, find the guy who owns the house. And when you find the guy who owns the house, said, hey, the master said, you got the room ready? Now, this seems kind of forward, and, and it is, but Jesus was that way. He could be. He's a crazy universe. He can be as forward as he wants to be. But during this time, a lot of Jewish families, they had rooms above their house that they would let other Jews who came to the city for Passover use to sleep or to, to celebrate Passover with their family. So they would open their home to the guests. Uh, look at verse number 15. And he will show you a large uh, upper room furnished and, and, uh, and prepared there, make ready for us. And the disciples went forth and came to the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Now the book of Luke tells us that it was Peter and John that went to prepare the Passover meal, meal or the Seder meal. Now, what would happen during this, this very special day, about 3 o'clock, the disciples and Jesus would have gone to the temple. They would have purchased a lamb there because they didn't bring one with them. So they would have purchased a sacrificial lamb. They would have taken it into the temple, gone into the, 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 where the, 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 the priest would make the sacrifice, and they would offer their lamb to the high priest. He would slit the lamb's throat. The blood would be collected, would be poured on the mercy seat. The lamb would be cut up, and the meat would be given back to them to take home and eat. I can't imagine what, what Jesus was thinking or feeling as he's, he's there at this Passover time watching this lamb be slaughtered, knowing in just 24 hours he's going to be slaughtered for the sins of mankind. But so he's observing this, and he's feeling these things, and he's thinking these things. Now, to the disciples, it's also a precious time, but they don't know what's coming yet. He's told them several times. The disciples were dense, and so he told them several times, I'm going to do this, but they still didn't get it. 
But to them, it's still a very precious time. The Passover was a, a very personal, intimate time in the life of a Jewish believer. And so this is where we pick up in Mark chapter number 14. Now, after the, the, the priest butchered the lamb, they, it, they would take it back and they would prepare it for, what, for roasting, and they would roast it for about three or four hours. And in verse 17, that's where you pick up. So look at verse number 17. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. So the Passover feast didn't happen until sundown. They would go to the temple. They would sacrifice the lamb. They would collect the meat. They would go back to wherever they were. And at nighttime, after they had roasted the lamb, when the sun had gone down, they would enjoy the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal was and is a time of remembrance for the nation of Israel or the Jewish people to remember how God delivered them from Israel. Of course, for 400 years they were enslaved in Egypt and God delivered them from that slavery in Exodus chapter 3 as God calls Moses to deliver Israel. So Moses leaves from where he had fled before and he goes to Israel, he goes to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh, God has sent me to tell you to let my people go. And we've all seen the movie, you know, Charlton Heston, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. So he goes, he goes, Pharaoh, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh's like, no. So God sends nine plagues to change Pharaoh's heart. And each time Pharaoh tells Moses, yeah, y'all need to get out of here. These lice are too bad. The river's blood. All these things are happening. Y'all need to get out of here. But every time he would change his mind. So finally, God sent a tenth plague. He sent the plague of the death angel. And he told Moses, he goes, Moses, tonight I'm going to send the death angel through Egypt. And in every household, the firstborn will be killed. Firstborn son, first animals, no matter what. Every household, the firstborn son will be killed of people, of animals, of everything. Nothing will be spared. And he tells Moses the only way for someone to be spared is for them to take a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, to sacrifice that lamb to God, to take the blood of that lamb and paint it on their doorposts. Then they were to go inside, they were to eat that lamb and keep the door closed. And when the death angel came through, he would see the blood on the doorposts and he would pass over them. And of course, that happened. That night comes, all the Jews prepare, they, they sacrifice the lamb, they go inside, they put the blood on. I'd hate to be the, the firstborn, make sure, Dad, make sure you put plenty of blood on that doorpost. Make sure, the de- make sure he sees him. Light it up. What have you got to do, Dad? Just make sure the death angel sees his blood. So the next morning, the sun rises, all of Israel wakes up, and all their children are spared. All the Egyptians wake up, and every one of them wakes up to a dead child in their home, even Pharaoh. All of Egypt is heartbroken. So Pharaoh's in mourning. Pharaoh's upset, and he's, he finally comes to Moses and says, Moses, just... Take your people, take whatever you want, and get out. Now, during this time, every day, the wives would wake up early and they would prepare the bread for the day. And so they had gotten up early that morning as well. They started preparing the bread. They they honestly probably didn't sleep much that night. But they wake up, they get up, they start preparing the bread. And then as the bread is beginning to rise, Moses comes in and says, Hey, Pharaoh said, let's go, let's get out of here. So they gather everything they got. They even get their bread and they leave. But they had left so quickly, the bread didn't have time to rise. So they leave with unleavened bread. And that's why the Jews... You, at, during the Passover, would, would eat unleavened bread or matzo bread. 
And so they, they leave very, very quickly. Uh, and so they, their bread didn't end up, didn't rise and end up with flat unleavened bread. And so that's why they always celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover every single year. The Passover was a yearly feast. But it's not like our Thanksgiving. Like we celebrate Thanksgiving every year. And, you know, it should be more than just a meal. You get together and have, have food with your family. And, you know, we always try to take time to, and it's a constant battle not just in our culture, but in my house, to keep Christmas at bay for just three weeks until Thanksgiving. I'm like, Christmas is coming, but let's be thankful for a little while. But Thanksgiving, yeah, it's, it's special. We enjoy it. It's, it's a time of giving thanks and remembering how good God has been to us. But our meals are all very different. Some people, you know, like we, we always have turkey and ham and all the sides. Some people don't eat turkey. They're weird. Some people go to restaurants and have Chinese food on things. Hey, that's what you want to do, you want to do it. Do what you want to do, that's fine. There's no set items you have to have at Thanksgiving in your family. But in the Jewish culture, at Passover, you had to have these specific things. There were certain items you had to eat. And every part of the meal was important. And every part of the meal Tells a story. And the Jews enjoyed the Passover, the Seder meal. And here's what the Seder meal would look like. It's actually not much food. I wanted to have it up here uh, presented to you. I, I, number one, I couldn't find a Seder plate. And number two, April said I couldn't have four glasses of wine on the communion table. I told her I'd find somebody to drink them all, I guarantee you. Uh, but she wouldn't let me do it. So I got a PowerPoint presentation for you. So here is what the Passover meal looks like. Not just during Jesus' time, but today as well. And every part is important. Every part tells a story of the deliverance of Egypt. So I want to explain that today. But I want you to see the importance of these items so that when we look in the scriptures and Jesus gives us, instead of the Passover meal, we have the Lord's Supper, we need to see the significance of these items. Because these items... Have, have a meaning, powerful meaning for the believer tonight. So, of course, in the Passover meal, first thing you have is you have the matzah bread, which is these things here. They would have four pieces of matzah bread, and each piece was, they ate it with different things, but the matzah bread, of course, it is unleavened bread. It's just a flat bread. We actually use matzah bread in our Lord's Supper because it's just unleavened. It, it's really, it's, yeah, and you're going to find out it's not very good. I mean, you can put peanut butter and jelly on it. It probably still wouldn't be very good. <clears throat> but the matzah bread was important because it reminded them of the quick deliverance God gave them when he finally delivered them, the quick exit from Egypt. Then, of course, they always had a roasted egg. Here's a roasted egg right up. And my light's not working all of a sudden. There it is. All right, John, we need new batteries. You see the roasted egg up there? That's the white thing if you don't know what an egg looks like. So we got the roasted egg up there. And the roasted egg... Symbolized, symbolizes the desire for freedom from slavery and the, 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 uh, which there was, their hard labor gave birth to it. It symbolizes their hard labor giving birth to a desire for freedom from slavery. Then they had the bitter vegetables. Now, the bitter vegetables are typically romaine lettuce. And so they would take the lettuce and the bitter vegetable represented the bitterness of slavery. Uh, then, of course, they have the parsley, which is down here at the bottom, the 6 o'clock time, uh, the 6 o'clock of the, the plate. The parsley 
represented the initial flourishing of the nation of Israel. When they, of course, come to Egypt under Joseph, they begin to flourish and are prosperous. And they, they get into slavery because they were so prosperous, because they start to populate and, and become so multiple that a pharaoh came along who didn't know who Joseph was and realized who's these millions of people that have the best of our land and are doing, that, doing better than we are and they could take us over. We need to enslave them. So it represented the initial flourishing of the nation of Egypt, but it is dipped in the salt water, which represents the tears of the Israelites as they were in bondage, crying out to God for deliverance. Then you've got the Choroset. That's the stuff right up, if you go up the clock there, at, I guess four o'clock there, that's the, the stuff right next to the parsley. The Choroset is a mixture of wine, nuts, and crushed apples, and it represents the mortar that the slaves made while they were in bondage to Israel. Then you have the shank bone. Now, I know that looks like a chicken leg, but it's not. Uh, a shank bone is it's just a, a bone of a lamb. Now, today, you can use, they use a lamb. Sometimes they'll use a bare chicken leg or a, a chicken neck. It's, it's always something you don't want to eat. But it's just a bare bone that they roast. They, this is the only thing they don't eat on the entire plate. They don't even gnaw on it. This is, the bone is there. But it represented a lamb that was killed for their deliverance from slavery. Then you go to look at the horseradish, the whole horseradish root. It's the very top there at 12 o'clock. The horseradish represented the hardness or the harshness of slavery. Then you got the four cups of wine. And at a Passover meal... Everybody drinks four cups of wine, even the kids. Now, they have, I hope, a little bit different wine, but anyway, they drink four cups of wine. Now, the four cups of wine represented the four expressions of God's redemption. The first cup represented God saying, I will take you out. As he came to Moses and came to Israel and said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. The second cup was when God said, I will save you from bondage. Now, listen. If you, you hear these things that God is saying to Israel, you ought to understand they apply to us today as well as children of God. Because God has taken us out of the world. God has saved us from the bondage of sin and death. Then the third cup is, represents God telling Israel, I will redeem you. The fourth cup is God telling Israel, I will make you my people. So this meal that they even enjoy today lasted for hours. There were special prayers. There were special recitations. They would spend time talking about how these, how they, these thing, what these things meant to them and how they remembered how God had delivered them. So it was a very precious time in the life of an Israelite. And this is the scene we come to when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. You know, sometimes I think we look at the Last Supper and we think they're just up there eating chicken McNuggets or something, having a regular old meal. But it wasn't a regular meal. It was a very significant, very precious moment in the life of Israel where Jesus, after the supper, says, we've remembered how God delivered Israel from slavery. Now I'm going to tell you how to remember God delivering humanity from the slavery of sin. And so every part was vital. Every part was important. And that's the setting we come to in Mark chapter number 14. And then look at verse number 18 again. And as they sat and did eat, again, they're eating the Passover meal. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. 
and they began to be sorrowful and say unto him, one by one, is it I? And another, is it I? So his opening words are words of betrayal. He's saying, hey, we've enjoyed this meal together. We're all remembering how God delivered Egypt. But I'm here to tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And every one of them is shocked. They're saying, hey, is it, am I the one that's going to betray you? Am I the one that's going to betray you? And they're, they're seeing which one of them it was. And, and for an Israelite, if you shared a meal with someone, it was a very precious time. And so to betray them, uh, it was a breach of etiquette because if you're sharing a meal with someone, they're your friend, they're your ally, they're your loved one. They are someone you would never betray. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, one of those people who I don't really care about, they're going to betray me. He goes, no, one of you enter 12 who I'm enjoying this meal with. I'm, I'm spending, you are acting like my friend, but you're going to betray me. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 41. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good word for that man if he had never been born. He's saying this man is doing what he is doing on his own accord, and he is responsible for his own actions, and he will be held accountable. Now, this betrayal, it's a key element throughout the entire gospel story. Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies Jesus. The disciples flee. The crowd turns on Jesus. The same people that just a week before were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, are in just a few hours going to say, crucify him, crucify him. And we need to understand in this story, we are the ones who betrayed Jesus. We're the enemies of God. We're the ones who are hurting him and crucifying him. We see we are the betrayer of Jesus. So Jesus, he's having this meal with his intimate friends, knowing that one of them will betray him, one of them will deny him, but he he continues on anyway. Look at verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. So after eating the Passover meal, he takes one of the pieces of Seder of, of matzah bread. He blesses it. And the disciples probably think he's going back to the Seder ritual. He's picked up some bread. He's, he's blessed it, which is what they would do. But everyone ate their own bread. But instead of going back to the Seder ritual, he, he does something new. He breaks the bread and he passes it to all of his disciples. They all eat of the same bread. He says, take, eat this bread. Because this is my body. This, yes, the bread before represented the quickness of our deliverance from Israel. But now, this bread represents how my body was beaten for you. How my body was broken for you. How my body was completely destroyed so you could have redemption. He's given us a new ritual. The bread would go from this day forward, would represent his body that would be broken in just a few hours for them and for us. What Jesus is doing is he's giving them a new covenant, a new remembrance. He's fulfilling a promise and saying, look, the Passover was incredible and it needed to be remembered, but now there's something new to remember. There's a new fulfillment to be remembered. There's a new promise that I'm going to take, that I'm going to fulfill for you tonight. Not to remember what God did for the Jews, but to remember what God has done for all of mankind. So tonight, as we take the bread, we are to remember the brokenness that he endured so we could be free, so we could be redeemed, so he could call us out, so he could make us his people, 
It's not just a dry cracker. It represents what our Savior endured for us, for our freedom. Because the Jews were enslaved to Egypt. Every one of us here tonight, we were born slaves to sin. We were born condemned to hell. But because his body was broken for us, we have freedom. We have redemption. And the bread represents that. Now all of mankind is invited to fellowship with God, to enjoy a meal with him because of his broken, because of the broken body of Jesus. What is amazing to me is this applied to everyone at that table. Now, yeah, Judas betrayed him. The Bible says Judas was, went to his own place. And so Judas betrayed him. I don't believe Judas was saved, but Peter denied him. Peter denied him. He was, he was saved. He accepted Christ. The rest of the disciples, they fled, but they're still invited, as often as they would, to remember what Jesus endured for them. No matter how much you've offended God, and I'm going to be honest with you, every one of us has. None of us can stand here today, myself, and myself especially, can stay here, stand here and say, you know, I've, I've lived a pretty sinless life for quite a while. No, you haven't. You've got pride in your life. All of us, on a daily basis, we offend God. We sin against him. We break fellowship. But God still says, hey, you're, you're invited to remember what I did so that betrayers of me could have eternity with God in heaven. No matter how we've offended him, no matter how we've betrayed him, we are invited to remember what he did for us, his enemy. But look at verse number 23. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it, and he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. So during the meal, Jesus takes one of the four cups of wine, and he says something shocking to them. He says, this no longer represents the joy that God gave Israel by delivering them, but the joy that comes through my blood for salvation that is now available to all of mankind. He was reminding them of what God said in Jeremiah 31 when he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and they will, and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know ye the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. So this, of course, what Jesus is doing here is the fulfilling of this prophecy. He is doing away with the old covenant, the Passover, and he's beginning a new covenant with Israel and the rest of the world. And the disciples, they would now recognize that something important was happening in front of them. That Jesus just wasn't just going off script, but he was instituting something very vital to them. The cup now help them remember how the shed blood of Jesus redeemed them, how the shed blood of Jesus made them God's people, how the shed blood of Jesus saved them from slavery and bondage. The Israelites had been bound to God like a wife. They'd been promised to him, but the Bible tells us they had cheated on him time 
and time again. And God said he would begin a new covenant. And as Jesus passes the cup, he says this new covenant in his blood is not just for Israel, but it's for the entire world. It's for many. He does this for the entire world. We were broken. We were enemies of God. We betrayed him, and he poured out his blood for us. Israel celebrated the Passover to celebrate their freedom from slavery. The Lord's Supper helps us celebrate our freedom as well. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from separation from God. You remember the gospel story when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, Lord, it is finished, and he dies that the, in the temple, the, the veil that separated the, all of humanity from the holy place, from where God dwelt, was ripped in two, symbolizing now all of mankind had access to God the Father through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we take the Lord's Supper, it's not just something we do to be good Christians. It's to remember that now we who were, were separated from God, were enemies of God, were betrayers of God, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we now have access to God the Father through his incredible love for us. Through his blood, his death, his sacrifice, he forgives sin, he forgives betrayal, and he forgives unfaithfulness to all who come to him. And he promised that through his blood, through this new covenant, he would remember our sins no more. That's incredible. That's powerful. Because look, it doesn't say he forgets them. Because God can't forget them. He's, he's God. He knows everything. He can't forget anything. But he's saying, because of my death, burial, and resurrection, if you accept me, that as your, as, your, as your salvation, if that's what you put your faith and trust in, he goes, I will choose to rem not remember your sins. I will choose to never bring them up to you again, to never remember them and think, oh, yeah, that's Sean Minix. Yeah, he's a pastor, but, man, his list of sins is very long. And keeps getting longer every single day. Amen? And so he, he's going to say, because he's my child, because he's accepted my sacrifice as payment for his sins, I'm going to choose to not remember them. I'm never going to bring them up. He promised that through his blood, through this new covenant, he will remember our sins no more. The Lord's Supper is where we as believers remember our story. The Passover, that's for the Jews to remember their story. But this is our story. This is the story of all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, all who have accepted his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for their sins. The Lord's Supper is our story. Every element is unique. Every element has meaning, and it's a story of our deliverance, our redemption, our becoming God's people. It's a story of our forgiveness and the story of our restoration. Passover goes to the story where they start as slaves and they end free. The Lord's Supper begins with us as slaves to sin and element by element we receive our freedom. We come to the Lord's Supper reminded we were slaves to sin and there was nothing we could do to, to buy our, our freedom. There was nothing we could do to gain our own freedom. It took his broken body. It took his shed blood 
to give us our freedom. We leave the meal reminded we are free, remembering what Jesus did for us as he chose to be our Savior. As we go from being his enemy to his friend to a child of God, we are filled with thanksgiving and gratitude and awe. The Lord's Supper can be summarized like this. We were once slaves to sin. We were once betrayers of God. And now we're set free. We remember that God suffered and died for us and rose again for us so we could be right with him and live with him and have his righteousness on our account even though we were his enemy. We come as slaves and we leave free. So the question we have to look at as we look at the Last Supper is this. How will we approach the table now? How we approach the Lord's Supper tonight. If you're not saved, this story should affect you in a way prompting you to accept his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection, his broken body and shed blood should prompt you to accept his free gift as payment for your sin and become his Savior. The Bible tells us that if you're not saved tonight, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to accept his gift. If you're still a slave to sin, you can be set free tonight. That's what the Lord's Supper should prompt you to do if you're not a Christian tonight. But maybe you're here and you're like me and most of the rest of us and you've accepted Christ as your Savior. But you find yourself, like we all do, living voluntarily in bondage to sin. Too often we're free, but we live as slaves. Slaves to those sins that just keep besetting us and we keep finding ourselves doing over and over and over again. Jesus has set you free, but too often we wallow in the change, chains. Jesus has come to give us an abundant life, but we still live as slaves. He set us free. It's time for us to remember that and take off the chains so we can live free. How? Well, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, look, we all need to be honest with ourselves. In every one of our lives, there's something we struggle with. There's something that right now you're thinking about it, that there's that thing you wish you wouldn't do. There's that sin you wish you could conquer. There's that sin you wish you could get free from. The Bible says tonight that if we come to him and confess our sins, now confessing isn't just saying, God, I did it, I'm sorry. Confession is saying, God, it's wrong. You're holy and I'm unholy. And what I'm doing is a violation of your holiness. It's confessing that you are, that it is sin. It's getting on the same page with God. If we confess it and recognize, God, this is something I'm doing and I know it's wrong and I don't want to do it, we confess our sins He's going to forgive us, but he also says he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, sometimes the only way to conquer that sin is to ask God to help you do it. But see, the problem is some of us, we don't want to do that because we like it. We like that sin. Now, that is not sin. That's iniquity. That's enjoying your sin so much you don't care what it does between you and God. And look, if you're here tonight... And you're in one of these categories. You're either not saved or you're living in sin and you're iniquity and you're enjoying it. The Lord's Supper is not for you. You've got to get right with God. You either got to accept him as your savior 
You've got to come to an altar and say, God, I'm confessing my sin, and I don't want to live this way anymore, and I want freedom from that sin. You've got to get right with God before you take this in, because the Bible says in, in Corinthians, during Paul's time, there were a lot of believers who were taking the Lord's Supper unworthily because they were living in sin or not saved, and the Bible says God killed them for it. You're saying, preacher, if I take this Lord's Supper unwillingly, God may kill me. He might, I don't think you'll drop dead right here. But that's what the Bible says. Got to be careful. That's why Paul said you better examine yourself. So all of us tonight, we got to examine our hearts. First thing you got to say is, am I a child of God? If you're not saved tonight, you can take care of that before we take the Lord's Supper. And then you can enjoy this meal that is not much of a meal, but it's an incredible remembrance. Or look at your life and say, Lord, am I right with God? Am I right with you, Lord? Is there any unconfessed in my life? Lord, am I right? And here's when we all start going, am I right with other believers? If there's something discord between you and another brother or sister in Christ, you've got to get that right too. The Bible even says, Jesus said, hey, if, or Paul said, if you're going to come and bring your sacrifice, your offering to God, but you've got strife between you and another brother or sister in Christ, you better go get it right with them, then bring your offering to God. So if there's discord between you and another brother and sister Christ, you've got to get that right as well. See, this meal is a celebration to remember how Jesus has set you free. Jesus paid for our freedom with his life, his body, and his blood. So how will you let the Lord's Supper change you today? Once you were a slave, but now you're set free. Paul tells us before we partake the Lord's Supper, we're to examine ourselves to see if we are right standing with him. Again, are we his? Do we have unconfessed in our life? So let's take a few moments this evening. I'm going to have Miss Trudy go to the piano. And before we have the deacons come up and before we pray over the elements and pass out the elements, I want to just take a few minutes and examine ourselves. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, every one of us here, we were born sinners. And that's just the way it is. You were born a sinner, a rebel, an enemy of God. The Bible says for the wage of sin is death, that because of our sin, we are going to go to hell. And that's nothing that we can't get our way out of it. We can't, we can't work our way out of it. It's just because we're a sinner, we deserve death. But he says, but the gift of God is the eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord. So all you have to do to accept Christ or Savior tonight is understand you are a sinner because the Bible says you are. That your sin, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you obey your mom and dad, no matter how much money you give to the church, your sin is going to send you to hell. But God doesn't want you to go there. He gave you the gift of eternal life. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Understand, you are a sinner. Sinners go to hell. God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to go to hell. So he died on a cross, was buried, and rose again to pay your sin debt. And all you have to do is accept his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin. Put your trust in him and him alone as payment for your sin. And once you do that, the Bible says you're a child of God. So examine yourself. Are you saved? If you are tonight, is there any unconfessed in your life? Is there any strife between you and another brother and sister in Christ? If there is, as we take a few moments... Number one, if you're not saved, I want you to come forward and we'll take care of it tonight. But if there's unconfessed sin, just in your seat or at the altar, just confess your sin to God. And let's get on right seeing it. So, Miss Trudy, begin to play.